You are now entering the zone of our debut episode for the podcast that you've been waiting for. For the love of Podden, Rasar Armani, Rachel from Rachel Street. Let's get to it. And we were just having a little talk about, you know, the background behind the title of the show, which is, of course, based off of the fantastic reality TV show for the love of Ray J. And, this, and Rachel was just reminding me about Tom Green's role in all of this. Right, right. So I think this this was hmm, I'm trying to think of exactly when in like my tenure of life. So I think this was before I was Rachel from Rachel Street. Mm hmm. Right, because that's that's when you met me. This is two thousand, uh, yeah, because it was like two thousand eight, I believe, when that show was on. You know what? I might. Ooh, I'm trying to think of if I lived on Rachel Street at that point or not. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's a plausible enough name that you don't know. Is that my name? Is that not my name? Right. Um, makes a good stage name. For the love of Ray J, basically spun out of because Flavor Flav was was the first one, right? Flavor Flav. <laughs> <laughs> right, I I missed the first season because in high school I didn't really watch TV because I was I had I had too much going on. Because you were too cool for school. No, I mean I had I was going to night school at night. I was going to high school during the day. I had two mall jobs. I was trying to save money for college. So quite the contrary, you were not too cool for school. You were like, no. you were only cool for school. Okay, so I was actually having this talk uh, two days ago with a family member. Uh, because Flavor Flav came up because we were talking about me living in Vegas. And yes, I did meet Flavor Flav. Really? We've never talked about this before. Yeah, and that should come up. And I'll I'll actually, because this is being recorded, fortunately, I won't forget eventually, hopefully. But uh, we'll get back to your story, which is setting the basis of this. But I will say that we actually just talked about Flavor Flav and I was explaining to them like why he got kicked out of Public Enemy more recently, <laughs> like just two days ago. So it's just interesting that we're bringing all this up. And then uh, she remembered that I had told her back in the day that uh, Flavor Flav actually was at a show that The Leak was doing in Las Vegas about five years ago and came on stage. Uh, that's a whole story to itself. But we were talking about the lineage of all of it. So the re- the origin, of course, is the surreal life, which was like a better version of the real world, which was like the real world with celebrities. Wait, was this with him and... Um, Brigitte Nielsen. Brigitte Nielsen. So, because they fell in love on the show, right? Well, yeah. Like, you know, it seemed fake, but they like, they were really... Yeah. I mean, you saw it. It, it happened, but that was like the third season. So their, their story was so dominant that it canceled the other show that had been successful for three seasons. <laughs> And so they did. So it was the surreal life. Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nielsen met up on that show. They were so big of a deal that they got their own show. And then and then they broke up. And then it became a uh, flavor of love. And then there was shows based off of the people that were trying to get with him. Wait. So before you go further, though, my understanding is for flavor of love. The women going on to the show did not know that the person whose affection they would be vying for was a, was Flava Flav, correct? That I don't remember. Because I didn't watch the first season, but if I recall correctly, going into it, they I think 
and I'll have to fact check myself on this, but I believe they were just told like a celebrity and maybe some high level details. And the, the fact that it was Flava Flav was kind of a surprise on season one. So I didn't see season one, um, but I made a friend in college and she was all about those kinds of shows. And so I knew like Hoops and all that. Yep. And, no, wait, was Hoops season two? Hoops was in there somewhere. You know, I don't, I wasn't, I watched it, but it's all trash. So it just kind of ran together. Yeah, in and out. I just know the, the overall arc. The second season, I believe, was when I was in college and I had this friend. And so she and I watched it. And then... You know, that kind of spun out into all the Brett Michaels stuff. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, he did have a show. I forgot about him. (laughs) Oh, I had a whole different... So I had a crop of friends that were my flavor of love friends, and I had a crop of friends that were my rock of love friends. Uh, and none none shall they ever mix. You know, you got those different pockets of friends. Then we had right because he was on he was on what was uh what was New York's sh- show called? For the love of New York or I love New York, right? So yeah, so her show was I love New York, but I I feel like it was before they gave her that show because I I don't think I watched the third season of Flavor of Love. Like I don't remember the timeline on all this, but they like brought her back into the running only for him not to pick her again. I think on the second season, maybe it was the, th- I really, I really don't remember. But then, then came her show, which was a whole mess. So Real and Chance were on her show, right? Yeah. Re- and Real Chance of Love were the two brothers. Okay. I feel like that one, then we had Rock of Love, then, then, th- yeah, but I don't know where For the Love of Ray J. It was I Love Money, which also came out in 2008. I remember watching I Love Money because Hoops was on that. They didn't finish it. Dang, there was a, there was a whole lot of stuff. See, and but really, the one that stood out, of course, was for the love of Reggie. There was nothing like that because who else was coming off of a world famous sex tape who had a much more famous sister? Uh, you know, no one else had that. And it was very, and just Ray J is such a character and all the ladies on there were something, there was just something like, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons to like, what's the dude's name from, uh, what's the dude's name, the guy that fell down at the Tonys and his hat fell off that you were just talking about? Brett Michaels? Yeah. So Brett Michaels, but you do remember. I actually, no, I do not remember him falling down at the Tonys. What was he doing at the Tonys? Excuse me. Yo, he for which exactly, which is what everyone was wondering then. I definitely was not watching the Tonys, but it made headlines. <laughs> and I know you're the fact check McGee, so I'm sure you'll look it up. But basically, I don't know why, but his, you know, his career made a resurgence, I think, because of that show. And for whatever reason, he did an opening number and he was, you know, ending it was corny and he's backing off stage. I remember he was backing upstage, still facing the audience and the curtain was coming down and he timed it incorrectly. And the thing came down on his head, his shirt, I guess his, his, his hat came off. And I think he was actually bald this whole time or like he didn't have as much hair as people thought. Right. Like there's always been a lot of controversy about that because... Here's the the hat plus bandana combo usually means there's a hair situation going on there because oh, um okay I I can guarantee you did not watch Tiger King correct oh please believe I did I loved you it you did oh oh my gosh yo I really did yo I really I stepped back for a second I was like what's this old shit right here but then you know the pandemic blues hit me and I was not influenced by the outside I wasn't watching social media. It's- it scratched, it scratched an itch 
like like these shows, the sketchy guy at the end, what was his name? Like Jeff, the guy that essentially like got the deed to the Tiger Ranch and stole it out from Joe Exotic. The dude with the woman who would go to Las Vegas with the little would would try to show off tigers to get. Remember, he said, <laughs> I'm not going to say the line, but remember, he said big. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that guy. OK, yeah, that. Dude. But 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 so he had on the hat and bandana combo, which means there's probably not a lot of hair going on. But Ooh. yeah, it's been it's been rumored for a long time that the those beautiful blonde locks that Brett Michaels was sporting were some sort of hair piece. Wow. Well, I think that all came to a pass at this Tony's fiasco. So it was, I guess it was hilarious for three reasons, mainly. Well, one, just the absurdity of him being there. Two, just people love to see people fall. Mm-hmm. There's actually more reasons now. So three, his hat fell off, which is funny enough. Four, I think there was something about his hair that was uh, announced. And then fifth, so not three, but fifth, was there's this lasting image of just his boots up in the air. <laughs> like like after he's laid out, all you can just see is his boots straight up. <laughs> it's, and that didn't get like memed to death? What year was this? It had this? to be like 2010 at the latest. Okay, so this was before like the, the spread of memes in the way that it does today. Like super hardcore meme spreader, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, I will have to. I will have to investigate this. But uh, before we before we dive too far off of the for the love. So for the love of money, I didn't get a chance to even start that show or watch it at all. I don't know uh, because you might not remember this one, but another offshoot. I believe that Charm School was originally started because of the Flavor of Love Girls. I do remember Charm School vaguely, but I didn't watch it. So there's Charm School. There was Tool Academy, and wow. then. My favorite from G's to Gents with the one and only Fonsworth Bentley, oh, the Umbrella wow. Man. I do, yo, Mister uh, Mister Sean Combs is a side piece there. Okay, I remember that. And and part of Good Music on Kanye's label. I've seen him perform before. He's a delight. He was on Good Music, or he was associated. Was he like an official? I'm pretty sure he was because I went to a Good Music review and he was one of the acts. Like he had a set. He had a set. He had a set and it was one of the best of the night. What? Farnsworth Bentley had a set. Like he killed it Mm -hmm. is what you're saying. What? Like He killed it. He came out there, sang, danced with the umbrella. It was amazing. What? He was great. I've never heard Uh, this anywhere before. This was like 2006. It was a long time ago. (laughs) So I don't, I don't know if it was a full set or just a few songs because it was a review. It was probably just a few. They had uh, GLC and Consequence were there. Wow, that's super. Sh- yeah, yo. this is a. It was very Chicago. Consequence, yo, like, yo, people talk about Rhymefest, but Consequence, in general, I mean, just going back to a tribe called Quest, and then just Consequence on his own, but also like the things he did for Kanye, like as well. Like, I think Rhymefest. It's weird. Consequence is more recognized in general, but I feel like Rhymefest gets more credit for the ghostwriting. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But I feel like Consequence is, is just as important to that era. Oh, definitely. And I, and I don't I think that was something that was so shocking to me about moving to the West Coast is that I really thought that like more people knew who these people were and then I got out there and like mm. no one knew who Consequence was. I mean, so Drive slow. Drive slow, homie. 
because we had Paul Wall and GLC. Yeah. And, and I feel like that that was like a really big pivotal moment because you were starting to borrow from all these different like I don't even want to say genres of hip hop, but like these different like you when were you going to expect Paul Wall and GLC to be on a song together? Right. But and that goes you letting your shy show because definitely to me, I wasn't thinking it like that. I mean, I knew Paul Wall was the oddball kind of kind of rhymes. Not really. But um, no, that works. Paul Wall oddball. Paul Wall oddball. But I wasn't thinking from my perspective, I wasn't like, wow, you got GLC and Paul Wall on a track. Like that wasn't crazy to me. What was crazy was just getting Paul Wall on a Kanye track. So I think that even right there. I'm one of those people to be like, I know him from college dropout, but I don't know him like that. But you seem to know him like just as a regional artist, like on other levels. Yeah, no, that was uh, so Fonsworth Bentley. Um, and that's where we almost lost him to time. But we first met Riff Raff. Riff Raff, yo. I, in fact, I was just talking about Rock the Bells recently. Was he there? Uh, he was. He was at Rock the Bells 2010. And the reason is uh, I got on my IG live recently, you may have seen when uh, RIP to Shock G of Digital Underground, which is a a whole nother talk, uh, but we will talk about it today. But I did a whole IG story, which I never do, because I had just found out and there was some crazy synchronicity where I was in the studio and a friend of mine and I had just started saying Shock G's verse from I Get Around. Oh, yeah. And then somebody called us maybe, maybe five minutes later. And and what was even eerier is that we were expecting another person to come to the studio. And around the time that they should have been there, we felt somebody jostling at the door more than once, like really trying to get in. And, and then so we go and he goes and opens the door and there was no one there. Can't make this up. There, there was no one there at the door and there's no one. It's a long, big hallway. There was another act, but they would never try to get in our studio. So there was no one else and no one plays those sort of games where they would like be pranking our door or something. So we get back. We're like, wow, I thought that was Keisha, but no one's out there. Get back, sit down. She called us right then to say, I'm on my way. She was like, yo, Shock G just died. Just to put that, just to compact those details really quick. Out of nowhere, a friend of mine I've known over 10 years, I randomly start saying Shock G's verse, which is not something we do. Like we don't even, we haven't even talked about Digital Underground in years. I just randomly, for no reason, start saying his verse and then we start rapping and talking about it. The person we thought was supposed to be there Someone shows up, but no one's in the doorway. And then that person that we thought was calling us calls us to tell us that Shock G died. So the ghost of Shock G was trying to get in because either because he wanted to get in on the on the rapping or because he was like, you guys are screwing up my verse. Thank you. I ain't. Hey, I didn't. Yo, yo, this is actually how it goes. Bef- hey, before I leave, I, I still got a little while before I fully get out of here. <laughs> this is the actual rhyme, bro. You missed a few words. We actually, yo, it spooked us out. Like, for real, though. Like, we, it deviated our whole recording session, and it set us back like an hour and a half. But in a good way, we just kind of reminisced on him and thought about the impact. And I did this IG story where I started talking about where I actually, I didn't meet Shock G directly, but there's a whole story about how, like, uh, I got to see the impact of Shock G. And uh, I'll never forget it. But that's true star power. And even though there were people more popular, famous, maybe even richer than him, just I'm talking about the the true magnetism that he had and the reverence. 
it was unbelievable. I was backstage and I saw a lot of people who are famous in their own right become little kids when he walked back there, which was crazy. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, who didn't grow up on him? Like every, every, like even Snoop would have to, and Snoop actually did play Rock the Bells that year. Even Snoop would have to, in fact, now that I think about it, I think Snoop was performing. No, Wu-Tang was performing when I was back. That was a crazy year, by the way. It was a Mortal Technique, Slick Rick. Uh, oh, this was the year they were doing entire albums. So Slick Rick did the Great Adventures of Slick Rick from front to back. KRS One did the Return of Boom Bat from front to back. Wow. Rakim did Paid in Full back to back. Wu Tang did Enter the Thirty Six back to back. Uh, Tribe Called Quest did Midnight Marauders all the way through. Like it was an insane day. Snoop Dogg did all of Doggy Style, including tracks that got cut because of sample clearances. It was an amazing event. What year was this? Two thousand ten. But also amidst all of this, Riff Raff performed. <laughs> yeah, they bring it back. Okay, so just a note on Riff Raff because, you know, Jesus Gents was whatever year. A couple years go by. And uh, and then, do you remember the vocal stylings of a young woman named Crayshon? Oh, yeah. Bay Area, I won't say legend, but Bay Area personality who who came to prominence by doing music videos for Lil B. So, uh, unfortunately... Uh, a lot of people when Crayshon came out were like blowing up my phone. Oh no! And they were like, because the sneakers, the matchy matchy, the you know, the kind of like vintage edge style type thing. Manchy manchy. Uh, matchy matchy. Like she was matchy. Oh, okay. Like okay. she she had a lot of accessories okay. and stuff. And I, I I've gone gone through a lot of my fashion phases over the years. And she's a petite woman mm-hmm. who's like Eastern European or something. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people were hitting me up about like, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I'm not going to lie, Gucci Gucci is a very, very catchy song. However, I will guarantee you that she did not write that song because she says something about her ovaries Mm -hmm. in a way that I'm like, a woman would not write that lyric because that's not how ovaries work. Okay. (laughs) Now that's funny. Now that's funny. Um, In fact, there was a local rapper... Uh, in San Luis Obispo where I went to college and where we met and we would book the it was a local rap group and we would book them often because they were like the local group to open for shows I think I think I played with them that day probably and this one line from and one of the guys who was objectively one of the better rappers of the bunch because like they each kind of had like someone was a good singer one was a good rapper one had good stage presence you know it was very Wu-Tang like in that way because there were a lot of them and they'd all get on Mm -hmm. stage together I'm not gonna name names or anything but the one guy who was the best like lyricist flow all of that he gets up and we're doing some local show and he just goes when I bust up my mom's fallopian tube, like I was born, blah, 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 ready to, blah, like, you yeah. know. And I'm thinking yeah, to myself. but that's the main point. Right. And I'm like, are you talking about the egg <laughs> busting out into her or, like, or are you actually yeah. mom's fallopian tube? When I bust tube? out my I was mom's like, you do fallopian realize that that's like tube. an ectopic pregnancy and she could have died and you would have died right. in the process, right? Yeah, like there's a I biological issue. <laughs> unless unless you're talking about the egg insertion, like when the yeah. egg was released and then nine months. So, uh, oh, which, you know, yeah. is the egg and then nine months yeah. and then you start rapping bars oh when you God. were born or like so so anyway i love it i love it i actually love it no no i love that you went super scientific with it and you're 
And I know that phrase, but not off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, you said it's an ectopic pregnancy. I've heard it. That's like a very life-threatening it, thing. It can be, yeah. Uh, the, the egg gets stuck in the fallopian. It's not good. I don't know. I don't know all the... Some If a scientist is listening, sorry. I don't know anything. I've never been pregnant. I don't know. So that's how long he's been rapping since he got caught in his Fallopian mouth. tube, but then he wouldn't got be it. here with us, and she might not be either. So at any rate, wow. it was just so distracting. Yikes. I couldn't listen to the rest of the song because I'm like trying to work it out in my brain. But... There's a a, a line in, in Gucci Gucci, the the blockbuster hit of of Krayshawn's career, the the first. I think she had other songs. I don't know. But she said something like she's got swag and it's pumping out her ovaries. And I'm like, a woman would not write that. Unless she was just trying to make trash bars. I mean, I don't like, here's the deal. It's it's common. <sighs> oh, no, no, you go ahead. What it, it, it just, nothing about it made sense. But at any rate, and then I did find out kind of through a friend of a friend, he says he had a hand in writing the song, uh, and the way based on his pedigree, it's believable enough. So anyway, interesting. We've got Krayshawn kind of doing her thing with her. So the whole thing was one big room full of bad bitches, right? That's like the line in the song. Okay. And I had a friend, and he and I used to always like text back and forth, like a funny things, like one subway full of sandwiches, like one, you know, like we'd go back and forth, trying to like one up each other on like one big room. Anyway. So all of that, all of that one, one big creation, one big room full of bad bitches. So (laughs) there was another woman in this little girl gang. Debbie. Yes. And I don't know at what point I ended up seeing a music video of hers, but I caught a familiar face and I said, wait a second. Is that Riff Raff? Oh, shit. And that's when I found out that Riff Raff went on to have a musical career. And I hate to say it. Jose Canseco slaps i mean that's a good song well wait because yeah so so wait you mean to tell me riff raff because you gotta understand that we i was only paying attention so much to music so like i mean i was seeing some reality tv but i didn't really know about that you're telling me so you looked at him only as like a reality dude Correct. and then you're like oh he's doing music now and then i saw him as like who's this dude that's showing up in music so you so you only knew him as a character on reality tv correct interesting from G's to Gents. Okay, Correct. got it. Did not know that. Yeah, I only knew him from there. Completely lost track of him. And then, I hate to say it, but like I actually really like some of his music. Oh, well, yeah, that's a guilty pleasure. I know, I know. Like, for example, Larry Bird, another jam. And then there's another song. <sighs> I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's like something about Don't Make Me Bring the Rice Out. I already iced out my lighthouse. Okay. He's talking about his chain. I'll give it this much. I'll give it this much. There's definite flow to that. There's flow to that. You know, it's weird with him because he's clearly a caricature of whatever he's attempting to be. But then I've also seen like videos of like, yo, that's how he really is. Like I've seen people like, I've, I I forgot where I was. I saw some video and it was a little more candid. Was it the Andy Milanakis thing when he was, when they were hanging out together? No, I haven't seen that. There's supposedly this video of him where he, like something happens mm-hmm. that like startles him and he kind of drops the accent. But then there are other times where it seems. Yeah. Like he's just like such an example of like pop eating itself. Like even down to the whole like spring breakers thing in the movie that kind of is about him or based on his likeness. Allegedly. No, nah, no, nah, I never seen all that. No, I, I didn't see it. But I think James Franco plays someone who looks a lot like him. But Riff Raff's an interesting one because he really likes to trick journalists. Like he gave this whole like expose about his life. And then it turns out he like lied about a lot of like very mundane things. I mean, he's a troll. hundred percent. That's kind of understood. But he takes the trolling to another level. Interestingly enough, as blasphemous as this is, that kind of puts him in the same discussion 
only as an entity, not as a lyricist, of course, as MF Doom. I'm just saying, like, in the hist- like, if we just look at Doom aside from his amazing lyricism, production, cultural knowledge, and impact, like, literally just the fact that he trolled so hard as Doom or Victor Vaughn sure. or King Ghidra or Metal Fingers or, or whatever you want to call I'm not sure how, de- how much you delved into Doom, but there's so much. Not. I did not, unfortunately. I mean, that's... Wow, I mean, you didn't, like, not even one album. Not the way I did with other people. I mean, like, I'm, I'm familiar... Like if I heard, I'd be like, "That's Doom," but like I didn't dig into it the way other things. Oh my goodness, yo! I need you to. I need you to. <laughs> I can't even tolerate this. I need you to do this for me, for the love of Ray J. I need you to do this, please. At the very least, listen to two MF Doom albums, and one is the unanimously accepted, critically acclaimed album. It's the one he did with Madlib. I know you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. They were a group called Mad Villain. Yes. The album's called Mad Villainy. That is considered like the pinnacle of like early aughts, mid aughts, underground hip hop that somehow broke through. Like they were like getting reviewed in Rolling Stone and all this other stuff. Like it it broke through. I'm I'm certainly familiar with Mad Villainy, but I, I yeah, I, I can't say I can't say because, you know, they, these would be the years where I was listening to CDs in my car. And like if I had the CD I listened to it. I also, it was a lot of burnt CDs. It was a lot of me going to uh, disc replay. Did you guys have those on the West Coast? We didn't have disc replay, but I had a lot of Doom that was burned from. In fact, I actually never bought an MF Doom CD. I just knew a <laughs> lot of people. Once I figured out who Doom was, it was like a little, It you know, to be fair, it was sort of like a, a, a because he's so underground and uh, such an acquired taste, it was like a club or like a secret it was like fight club or something you know like (laughs) and i definitely remember uh yo yo you got that like people had oh you ain't got this no but so disc replay was where you'd go and you'd like trade in cds or you'd buy used cds because you know i was was working those mall jobs like you know i i had the limited funds so depending on what i had in my car and that's why there's some albums that people like why do you have such a deep emotional connection to this random album? It's like, that's what I had in my car for six months. Damn. Like, that's... No, Replay, so it was all... I mean, it sounds like just like a record store, but it sounds a little different. It sounds like you could trade in stuff for other CDs. Yeah, you could you could go in and they would like buy things off of you and then you, you could buy... Like, it was a used CD shop. I don't know if these places... I'm sure they don't exist. That's what a lot of record stores did. I don't think they really had vinyl. I think it was it was predominantly... And there were obviously cassettes because that would, would have been timeline one. So, all right, so Mad, Mad Villainy. I would like to acknowledge the record stores I grew up with because that's a whole talk, but... uh. I want to say a few of those record stores, but the other album you have to get is Operation Doomsday, which is the MF Doom debut. You have to hear those two albums in their entirety. I will commit to that. Those are like definitive Doom. Everything else, there's so much legendary stuff, but those two is like, okay, I get it. Like, I would go so far as to say anyone who doesn't like those or... that isn't really grabbed by those, you're never really going to like Doom. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I listened to, like, these like, Dr. Octagon albums over and over and over again, but somehow missed MF Doom. That's crazy. That's <laughs> that's so... What's even crazier is that their worlds, their worlds don't really... And I'm sure I'm incorrect about this because there's so many collabs, but I don't think their worlds ever intersected on track. I can't think of a time where Keith... Uh, what did I say, Keith? Yeah, well, cool Keith, yeah. Yeah, Cool Keith, 
I don't remember Cool Keith doing a track with MF Doom. I'm sure they've crossed paths many times, and I'm just sleeping on it. But I've never heard of it, as far as yeah, I, I don't know. know. But, but yo, so record stores really quickly. The ones we grew up with, everyone had Tower Records, which is you know always makes people go, oh, it's like a little you know because it sucks too that it doesn't exist. It's interesting because that's hometown for me. It actually originated. There's a documentary that I believe Tom Hanks's son did. Uh, about you mean the one that uh did the really bad rap career i think there's more than one but i know there's like there's the problematic one and then there's another one i think because one did like some sort of like oh what right. what his like his like black and yellow it wasn't the it wasn't the wild one it was the one that doesn't have the the, the bad rap career yeah yeah well there was also some wild shit that he said recently too i think Ooh, so no i didn't know about yeah, that yeah there's there was some more recent drama but whoever it is okay. this is not that guy this is like the, the but it is because one of tom hanks's son actually went to uh maybe both of them did but went to uh, a private school out here that we all knew about. Uh, I think it was like uh, Christian Brothers or something like that, which is like, you know, obviously private school. But um, so they have history out here and obviously they got the money to bankroll something like that. But apparently it was a very good documentary. I haven't seen it, but it's actually from Tower Records started in Sacramento, if I'm not mistaken. And then it just turned into this global entity. But uh, for us, of course, Tower Records, we also had locally, we had a few of the warehouse. Everyone had the Virgin Megastore. That was obviously like a, a franchise thing. Dimple Records was the most important. I ended up working for them. Dimple Records was like the most important mom and pop shop that just closed in 2019, right before the pandemic hit. And oh, everybody had Sam Goody. Did you have Sam Goody? We did have a Sam Goody. Yo, if if I'm forgetting anybody, oh, my mom used to take me to Esoteric Records, which was a one of a kind place, uh, not too far in Sacramento, not too far off of Watt Avenue. Means nothing to you, but you know anybody listening might know. Um, and it was very small. And I remember I got an iced tea CD there, and I also used to get a lot of Bill. Co- That's where I used to go. My mom and I used to get a lot of Bill Cosby vinyl when i was a kid oh man i feel like there's got to be a whole bill cosby episode let's put a pin yeah, in that one. Oh yeah yeah exactly this should put a pin in that one because here's the deal we don't have to go into it right now but i think there's so much stuff that gets caught up on the horrific downfall of bill cosby i think that people like kind of forget that there was it's not just like oh yeah the show was good like there was more than the cosby show and there was like a deeper impact in that and i'm not even saying that you're saying like yeah let's laud bill cosby for how funny he was but i'm saying like as we kind of were getting at earlier with cancellation of other people it's like like you still like you wanted someone to do step in the name of love because you know that's a great song it's just that it's it's the it's the guy it's this weird thing where it's like separate the art from the artist. Can you do it? I yeah, we're gonna have to have a whole like cancel episode. Yeah, that's a whole thing because I grew up on a ton of Cosby. So we have our, our record store piece. Put that in box. We got we now we can put away riffraff temporarily. Yes, but um, Jose Canseco. If you will listen to Jose Canseco with the music video, with the music video, <laughs> um, I will uh-huh. listen. I will trade you one riffraff song and music video because I understand that is a big ask for. It I will is. listen to two MF Doom albums. Not as big of an ask. So that will be our, maybe we can think of like a, a fun name that we'll call these types of uh, bargers that we do. The cross-cultural exchange. And the funny thing is that's that's just about fair. Like if you're like going to go to like. The, the value, the cultural <laughs> the, impact. It's, yeah, it's like, I guess the the deficit of brain cells of consuming one versus the increase 
of neurons connecting uh, with the unfair. other. Unfair. You okay? But let's let's not forget how this conversation all started. Talking about the trashy shows that we love, right? Yeah, they were pretty bad. So we can't talk about you know my my occasional indulgence in riffraff does not pay, like the amount of hours we spent on these reality shows. So oh got- no, it's still absolute fucking trash. There's stuff I love though. Like for instance, I am definitely based for life, meaning I'm a huge Lil B fan. <laughs> and my my journey with Lil B is actually uh it, it, that's why I can understand like the riffraff thing. Lil B, everybody basically came from Lil B from this whole era. Like even mm-hmm. though there's always been weirdos and people who are just like messing with you, I'm just talking like everything all the way up to like and it actually came to fruition in uh I think it was like the 2019 VMAs, which was like the last time we had like a normal one or normal one after everyone stopped watching. Right. But there's this interaction that occurred where Lil Uzi Vert was being interviewed in 2018 or 19. And Lil B, for whatever reason, was invited to this. And Lil Uzi Vert, who's too famous or rich and arrogant to care about anybody or anything, actually lost his shit that Lil B was there, hmm. which was a very telling moment. I've seen Lil Uzi Vert. He's very full of himself and he has a lot of reason to be. He's rich extremely famous and he has tons of hits he doesn't need anybody for anything at this point and just to see little b saunter up and basically crash his interview and him being like down with it was an interest and i've also seen him with like he doesn't like doing interviews so it was like just the fact that he like dropped his guard and i've seen a lot of people react uh to little even like bun b who's one of the most respected in the history of hip-hop mm-hmm. like there's an interaction with him and little b and like you know bun b showed him all love and respect he's on a thundercat album i just was listening to thundercat yesterday okay then so you know to so see you already know mm-hmm. about all that brain mm-hmm. feeder and all that stuff i mean little b is a whole vibe and he did a tra- i think ninth wonder put him on a track about 10 years ago like after the whole bass thing was happening, which seemed absurd at the time. But like now it's like, dude, like the people that are obsessed with Tyler and see him as this visionary, which, you know, he is. He I remember I wasn't into Tyler, but I was watching to see what these kids were doing. And they loved Lil B. Even Kendrick, I seen a video like people would never associate it. But I've seen early videos of him talking about how like, yeah, we all used to listen to Lil B and thought that was ridiculous. Like, but we loved, you know, like they listened to Lil B. It was a thing, (laughs) you know? And I remember I was very mad about Lil B. I knew about him from, uh, obviously when he first came out, uh, the Van song in 2005, The Pack. I feel like this is the second time The Pack has come up in our conversations, understandably so. Right, because you said you knew people. You knew people. Oh, well, through through people through. Yeah, but they're. Oh, right. Because I told you the story and these are in the lost tapes. Yes. Uh, and when I, I told you about the guy who knew them and would we would bring him up as a ringer for all these like small town rap battles. And then a white guy we were with said the N word and we had to like get his car. And it was a whole situation. It's too bad that that's not a part of the real tapes. We might have to retell that story at some point because we can re- we can retell the story. We can retell the story because I think it's pretty hilarious. It's a, it's a very funny story. <laughs> and I didn't it's now only looking back. I realized how dangerous that situation was. Yeah. Danger. She smashed the homies. Mm-hmm. So we've got we've got all of our for the love of. We've got uh, G's to gents. All the will make you a better person show. And then yeah, I don't understand how Ray J ended up with the show because the whole kind of premise of this is like has been ish people, and Ray J still seemed kind of in his prime in a way. And so oh for sure, right? And so we've got all the wait. Are you gonna tell this story though about the dude getting run out of the battle? Oh, you want me to retell it now? I thought we were gonna put a pin in that until another time. Oh okay, you want 
gonna pin it. Okay, I was I was ready for it now. But okay, oh, but okay, uh, whenever no, you we'll, want to do it. Well, well, I feel like it'll come up at, at some point uh, again. I'm sure. Okay, we'll pin it. So mm-hmm. because I think we haven't really talked. We've talked about like maybe one of the things on the list today. Shock G, I already crossed that off. We, we talked about that. Shock G. I got us. I also have biting Friday, uh, regional rap and DMX. That's what I have down. We also were kind of careening down the path of explaining the name of the show, yeah. but seeing as we're 40 minutes into an episode, uh, who knows where this will go. So we have For the Love of Ray J as this cascade of all these shows. And there's actually a story I have about For the Love of Money, which is an insane story because it has to do with a murder. Tell me about it. Let's get to it. Wow. For the Love of Money, I never actually ended up watching any of it. So the the trickle down was... Rock of Love, that's when the shows became like so self-referential that they were just a parody mm-hmm. of themselves. I just was like the whole wheels had come off the wagon. A Rubarus, if you will, <laughs> the snake eating itself. Exactly. Yes. On Rock of Love, there was this woman named Megan. Do you, did you watch any of that? I don't remember that. Very calculating, very interesting person, but she was clearly there for the money and did not, you know. And so after things didn't work out with her and Brett, because she didn't get picked, I, I don't think, she then started, they had a show called Megan Wants a Millionaire. Did not know about this. My understanding is that I think I watched a, just ever so, I don't even know if I ever watched it. I feel like I saw the ads for it and that show never aired. And then for the love of money, they they canceled that too before it ever finalized airing because there was a guy from Megan Wants a Millionaire named Ryan Jenkins. And he, I think he won for the love of money, one of the seasons. Mm-hmm. But before they could even finish airing Megan Wants a Millionaire, he murdered his girlfriend or wife or whoever she was. So he Ooh. obviously didn't win the show. He goes on to marry someone else Ooh. and he murders her. Excuse me. Yeah. What? And he like cut off her head and her hands and threw Ooh. her body in the ocean. What? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. What? And they identified her from her breast implant serial number. Oh. Oh, my God. And as the police are closing in on him, he ends up taking his own life. Oh, wow. Horrible story. Horrible end. Good God. (laughs) The name Ryan Jenkins is like sticking in the back of my head, though. And I'm like, Ryan Jenkins, Ryan Jenkins. Who is like, why? I mean, it's a generic enough name, right? You paused when you said it. Then I see a picture of him. Mm -hmm. This guy used to try to talk to me at my job at the mall. Oh, no. What? What? Until he realized I was like 17. Yeah. What? Ryan Jenkins, the dude who killed his lady. I'm almost positive it's him. I mean, it was a guy named Ryan Jenkins. I remember I have, like, because I wouldn't give him my phone number, but I gave him my email. Allegedly. Yo, shout out to Ryan Jenkins. If this is not you and you just happen to be another dude with the same name. (laughs) Same name who looks... it's eerily similar, but I mean, the the Ryan Jenkins in question here is now deceased. Mm. So I don't know. I, I tried to look him up, but it's too generic of a name. So yeah, Chicagoland Ryan Jenkins, who, because that was a thing. It's like he had recently moved to the area. He was trying to talk me up at my job and he found out I was in high school, but he still grossly like kind of tried to talk to me. And I was like, I, I won't give you my email address. I'm not going to. We kind of knew some people in common, strangely, as well, in kind of the music scene, fashion scene that I was involved in in Chicagoland, like out, out in the burbs. And so that's why I agreed to give him my email address. Because of the couple people we knew in common. Maybe I was 18 at this point. I don't know. I was in high school, though. And yeah, so I, I ran back. Once I found out this guy's name, I looked. I found the old emails between between us. And they were whatever. He was new to the area. He was this. He was that. Could this have been? And then he just disappeared one day. And I never heard Damn. from him again. Whew. Yeah. Might have dodged a bullet or a knife, to be more exact. 
I yeah, I don't I don't know how he ended up murdering her. He said he cut it off. Well, once once she was dead. Oh, so anything could have happened. Damn. Well, I'm pretty sure if you look on the internet, you can find it. But to conceal the crime, yeah. So I I'm not sure if it's the same guy, but same name and eerily close resemblance physically. But it was you know a good ten years. It uh, yeah. maybe only five years in between. I think time passed differently, but yo, that's that's a wild story. Um, and I'm uh, I, so far, I haven't known anybody. I'm sure you know, but I've heard of that. Like you know, we all have crossed paths with a killer. Well, it just happened to me, actually. What do you mean? Um, I met someone over Zoom. They're like a bus- It was like a business Zoom thing, mm-hmm. like a bit like business networking, like chamber of commerce type thing, but not chamber of commerce. Um, and we were kind of expecting this person to become a member. Um, and someone had known him for a while, brought him once again, it's all over Zoom. And, you know, a couple of weeks goes by and I was like, oh, it's kind of a bummer. He never came back. I thought he would have been a good fit for this little business cohort. Mm-hmm. One of the people reaches out to me privately and she's like, hey, do you remember what day this guy came to the meeting? And I was like, oh, yeah, let me look at my notes. And I was like, yeah. She's like, they think he murdered his wife. Oh, no. And they're trying to figure out when. Whoa. It was like that day or the next day. No way. And you were all yeah. like talking and he like did well. Like he was like, he was, you were nice wanted to guy. work. What? Yeah. Yeah. No way. He was like super, yeah. like he was polite or whatever. Polite, wow. nice enough guy, Whew. you know. And, and the weird thing was she was supposed to be at the meeting too oh, and wasn't. Oh, not uh oh. Wow. Yo, that's why they reached out to me because a detective was reaching out to this other lady to talk because they were trying to get in touch with anyone he had recently talked to. Wow, yo, I was I was talking not hypothetically because I know it's a very real thing, but I when I said that to you, not knowing this, I definitely wasn't thinking you're like, yeah, I specifically know someone who is currently under investigation for murder. I wasn't thinking. I just meant like, you know, we might have walked by someone in the park or something. You're like. Oh, totally. Wow. No, this this was probably like December. No way. That's yeah. It's right at the end of the year. God, that's it's chilling. scary. It's it's a very scary and very real thing. Ugh. And I mean, like domestic violence is real. That's wild. If you are if you are one of our listeners, our potential listeners, and you're hearing this and you're in a situation, there are hotlines. Call the hotline. Tell a friend. Yes. Get away. Do what you can. Seriously, no. Thank you for bringing that to the forefront because there are a lot of there are a lot of people who don't know how to, especially with psychological abuse, makes it difficult for people to see what may seem like an easy out to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in that situation, it could be very difficult to break away. You know, I'm. I have a feeling that us talking about doing the right thing to for your own safety will never get old. I think that's right. I think exactly. that's always. But I did want to uh, bring up something. Um, so I had uh, DMX biting and Friday, and these are th- separate things. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So I'll say I'll just go with DMX. You know, RIP to DMX. We didn't really talk about him before, and we could do a whole thing about X. I actually just saw something yesterday where it was like I think his funeral was yesterday. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. One of my friends who lives lives in New York posted a bunch of Im- images from it. Yeah, and I mean, whenever this comes out, you know, this was <laughs> it was yesterday from whenever you hear it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I didn't really watch it, but I did see like I saw like a thing on YouTube, and it was not the thing to watch only because 
it was just like aerial stuff, but it was like a news report. All the comments were like, yo, you know, we give honor to a brother or like, you know, too many of ours or whatever. But like, what, sh what I was expecting, maybe they were like curating the comments because you can definitely do that sometimes. They had the most bland, non-culture, disinterested dude I've ever heard ever cover anything related to music. And he was, all he did, he said nothing about DMX. He seemed to know who nobody was or anything. He was just like reading off of the paper and he was just like, they are now going. And he wasn't even like an old dude, but he was like, they are now going east, and of course, if you look on there, you can see that they're crossing the bridge, and they have, excuse me if I say the name incorrectly here, and uh, there are a lot of people on motorcycles, they of course are uh, riding, to, like nothing about like his career, his accomplishments, his, even his controversies, the people that might be going there, where, like it was just like, what, or like I remember when I first, none of that, it was just, I was like, God, this is why it is so important, this is why... It's so important, like, even like, you know, you and I have been hired for so many, like, speaking engagements, engagements of me more for music, but I've also been like, I've hosted tons of MCs, and I've, I've been an MC for tons of events, I've hosted a bunch of events, and there's like, that's why it's like, it is important, and I've seen things with horrible hosts or keynote speakers, and it does like, drive the thing wherever it's gonna go and it, it just kind of reminded me of like that's why you want certain people to be involved because it's like even though it's the news and they are just supposed to report and maybe some people don't like editorializing for something like dmx you're supposed to go all in and have some heart and it kind of killed me to have such a bland treatment of it. Right. Like, how many people would have killed for that? Oh, game? my God. Yes. Anybody. Even the, the people in the comments. Like, anybody. All you had to do. You didn't even. Like, we can see what's happened. And I understand there could be people who don't have the greatest vision. And that's why it's good to have, you know, the voiceovers, too. But, I mean, yo, like, when Nipsey died, and that's a whole thing. I seen something, but it didn't have any narration, and that was the best way to do it because it was too big for that. Like, either you say something profound or you don't say anything at all, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, seeing the, the funeral, uh, I guess you say procession, I guess? Yeah. Just seeing the way they line the streets all the way through, you know, Compton and all that or, or, or all through, you know, the Slauson area or whatever, it just... It was unbelievable, all the unity and the hundreds, I would say hundreds of thousands of people that were out there. It was just unbelievable. So with DMX, though, I got to say, uh, wow, what a career, what a interesting, controversial, impactful person. I actually got to see DMX live twice at his peak. I got to see him both times at Arco Arena. I saw him Sunday, April 25th, 1999 on the Hard Knock Life tour. It was, it opened with Method Man and Red Man. DJ Clue was the DJ. So it opened with Method Man and Red Man. And I remember them flying over the audience, which was very crazy on these like little like line things that they had. DMX was second, even though everybody was really there for him. And then Jay Z headlined. The thing was, DMX was really the dude. But Jay-Z had just sold 4 million albums of Hard Knock Life, and he was like this big pop star now that he had never been. And so he had the seniority. Also, he had Dame Dash, who probably barked, no pun intended, very loudly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to make sure he got that headline. And then the next year, I saw the same uh, uh, April something. It was also April, I believe, in uh, 2000. There was the Rough Riders Cash Money Tour. So I got to see a 
a young Lil Wayne. I think he was still a teenager. So it was, you know, Lil Wayne, Juvenile, you know, BG, the hot, you know, hot boys, big timers, of course, Baby Birdman, all that stuff. Manny Fresh, everybody was there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was the whole Rough Riders, uh, you know, Eve, The Locks, DMX, of course, headline this time. And yo, and they had this group called Dime. Do you remember a song from DMX's uh, And Then There Was X album? Do you remember? It was a single at the time, too. It was, why do good girls like bad guys? What do good girls like bad guys? <laughs> you remember this? I mean, it sounds vaguely <laughs> It wasn't like, to be honest, the greatest song. Even at the time, I was like, I don't know about this one. But anyway, so those girls, Dime, they got to open. And, you know, it was just it was just fun. Uh, it was also not fun because T to the motherfucking K. T.K. Kirkland, who had his career revitalized by DJ Vlad. T.K. Kirkland was the host. And, you know, I'd heard about him, but, you know, he's just been an underground comic forever. Anyway, he met, he literally made my mom cry with his vulgarity, and she vowed to never take me to another hip-hop concert again. I was like, wow. Anyway, that's a happy memory about DMX, but something about him performing, you know, here's the thing. I used to listen to his album religiously, specifically the, the debut album, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. I got that over the summer, so I was always a little hipster about him. When everyone was figuring him out like that, like the album came out May 19th, 1998. You can fact check me on that one. And I got it like late May. And so the only singles out at the time was Get At Me Dog. That was it, actually. And then like How's It Going Down came out. And Rough Riders didn't come out to like that fall, like maybe like September, October, something like that. Maybe even November, I think. But I was like, y'all are just now on this? I've been on this shit for like six, but it just took off. And honestly, I thought that that was like, I thought that was like the weakest song on the whole album. Like if you listen to the album, it was not even near the best. But uh, then the second album came out out of nowhere, like almost Beyonce style, but years before. Mm -hmm. No warning, no lead single, no video. He just came out with Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood, debuted at number one. I think he basically went gold the first week. And he's the only artist to ever release, he's the only hip-hop artist to release two number one hip-hop albums in the same year and to debut at number one with two albums in the same year. And also, he's the only hip-hop artist for his first five albums all debuted at number one on the albums chart. Just crazy. But what was your introduction to DMX, if I may? Honestly, it's like one of those things is like, because I'm a couple years younger Mm -hmm. than you. So it's like one day there wasn't DMX and then there was. And then there was X. That's literally the name of his third album. And then there was X. Then there was X. That's true. It's true. Like, I mean, it was the radio for me. Like, I I don't think I ever owned a DMX album Mm because I didn't really like like I said I I didn't have a lot of my own music a lot of it was me stealing Wyclef CDs from my brother uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're right <laughs> uh, and, and a, most of my music is either burnt or I like bought cassettes and CDs used all the cassettes. time like I was saying like yeah I some of my my most listened to music were cassette tapes I bought at the Goodwill wow they're they're, they're little like you know, four for a dollar bin. Yo, you probably got some classics in there. Oh gosh, I hope I still do. They're probably in a banker's box at my parents' house. Mm. Mom, I hope you didn't throw those out. <laughs> I, it was one of those things. It's just like they feel like my memories of X are so tied up in like parties, hanging out, listening to the radio, like, like that. I, I think I'm, I'm very much like more that casual X listener. Mm-hmm. Oh man, for me, I even described recently. 
I wasn't like, I mean, I had people call me that I haven't heard from in years. Like it was just like, yo, like literally one of the guys I went to junior high with and we were, in fact, he went to one of those DMX concerts with me. He grew up in a very privileged family, you know, Caucasian male. His father is a police officer. You know, he never had to worry about anything in his life, you know, <laughs> like just basically everything was taken care of. He went to school, you know, he's got a perfect life with his wife and everything and he's, he's doing his thing. But I tell you, he loved him some R&B, he loved some hip hop and damn did he love DMX and uh it was just so funny because he was like we're actually complete opposites. It's he's one of we haven't talked much over the years, but like we still we but DMX brought us together and that's kind of a show of how powerful he is. He's like your he's like he's like your you and him is DMX and then me and you is that one line throwaway line from for the love of ray j right except for the differences you and i are different but we're not this different let me paint the friend for you a little a little for you here of course you know he's white on black whatever but more important than race he's like a strong conservative right when you gotta remember we met his kids like 12 we didn't have right he's like like you know it was like when mccain came in he was all about mccain i didn't talk to him at all during the trump era about anything but i know he was a trump i knowing him i know he was a trump dude i don't even have to ask he was bush through and through and through and through we were in high school when that all started so he was super about bush I didn't realize how racist he was <laughs> for just going to be straight up, like, because he never said anything against black people. I guess that kind of goes to show. I wasn't like, well, yeah, screw other races. It wasn't like that. It's just like being mm-hmm. dumb, young, and not fully cultured. Like, I didn't think that I was very backwards about a lot of things. I think we all were in that era. So, like, even like what we now call Islamophobia, I didn't see that because I didn't grow up like, I actually did know some people, but like when people would make like jokes about like Arab or Islamic people, I would, I, if I'm going to be honest, I would like laugh. I was ignorant. I was stupid about all of that. Also out of fear of all the things that were going on and also out of uh, a lack of interaction. And it's so weird and probably disappointing to my mom who literally created an ethnic studies program, <laughs> you know, it's at, at Sac State University. And here I am laughing at racially insensitive things. It's one thing to just like to laugh at racially or, you know, other group insensitive jokes with like an awareness. But like I was like in on the stupidity and like just being dumb, you know, I didn't realize the the racism <laughs> that was going on when I was in junior high or in high school. But also uh, he's a cop now which actually is actually kind of a weird thing for me because I have a whole thing about cops. Uh, I'm sure I don't have to explain that too much. (laughs) Right. But that's actually been a hard thing for me to grapple with because I know him before that and he's never done anything to me. And also, like, it's not like I know, yeah, he's a bad cop, but I like him. It's like, no, he's just a dude who happens to be a police officer. He has no, you know, there's no, like, bad stories of abuse or anything. You know, he's been doing his thing. Uh, but he's like super right wing conservative. He hunts. I'm, you know, of course, you and I do not consume animals. Correct. He he's always been into hunting. He's into fishing. I don't believe in you know harming you know the fish or nothing like that. So it's like we're so different. You know, he always drank. I was the straight edge kid. It's so funny. I always think it's funny that he's the cop, 
because he was the one, and I'm no snitch, but I'll just say, I lived one way, and he lived another, and it's funny that he's the cop and I'm not, and I'll leave it at that. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just say, but DMX brought us back, and another good friend of mine from junior high who I love dearly, and uh, he's one of my best friends, but we don't talk all the time. He came through out of nowhere for the first time in like six months just to like, wow, we had this beautiful talk. And I think that's the important of artists like that. It's they're so symbolic. You know, maybe DMX wasn't, you know, the listener's favorite person. And he wasn't my favorite rapper after a while. But for a time, he was for a time. DMX was the greatest rapper in the world to many people, myself included. And um, I'm just honored that we got to experience that in all of its ups and downs. Yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly agree with that. And I think there was something very unique about him. And like he kind of lived out loud and struggled out loud. Oh, yeah. He was so authentic. Did you ever see when he was on uh, HBO's, I want to say Deaf Comedy Jam, but it was uh, Deaf Poetry? I don't I don't think so. Immediately I went to yeah, when he's in that like big drop ride, you know, that amusement park ride. Have you ever seen that clip? Oh, I've seen that video. <laughs> I forgot about that. I remember when that made the rounds, yeah. Okay, and then of course the one that really, see, he's mostly known for like his pain and his anger and his love and his praying and God and his dogs. But also, he was also really funny. I think he he kind of loosened up because he was a very serious dude like most of the time. But he used to goof around too. And like one of the funniest things I think that really made rounds a few years ago was of course Rudolph the Red Dose Reindeer oh, yes, do had a very shiny nose. Come on, come on. <laughs> like when he did that. What? The fact that he really and then somebody put like a well they didn't have to make a beat. He was like beating the table, but somebody added some production to that on like a video and I thought it was hilarious. Shout out to me just opening up about my uh the not so favorable parts of my teenage years of my uh cultural ignorance and dmx opening that portal that's the uh the joy of this being recorded and not live is that we can always edit that out if you don't want it in the final hey, cut. turn up <laughs> turn up i was like yeah <laughs> but you know it's something i might even say uh i've said it a few times and, you know i think the other thing is like growth you know what i'm saying right. i think that's the idea so i mean still we'll see exactly what i said but i think also it is good to like acknowledge where you came from. And I think that's to act as if you've never like, for instance, you know, we've, we've talked about different communities, sexuality and gender identification and things like that. And I think everyone's still learning about this. Even people who are in those communities are, you know, learning as we all go. But if you go back like 20 years, I was talking with somebody about Eminem recently. And I mean, Eminem tends to come up in hip hop conversations all the time anyway. Oh, we've but had some pretty intense Eminem related conversations. We didn't had some. And most of it had to do with the fact that you avoided him. Yeah. And you know what? I don't think you, those are conversations are even in the lost tapes. I, I think that that wow. was before we recorded anything. So uh, just go us. ahead. Go ahead and add that to the uh, the notepad of ideas. Oh. Yo, we definitely, yeah, we got to have an, we should definitely have an, in fact, I did something on another podcast recently, and from memory, I listed every single album he's released in order with the exact years, and there was a dude, I wasn't even, it wasn't even trying to do a thing, I was just making a point, and then I went so far that we said, let's just be gratuitous about this, and just keep going, like, I listed like three or four albums, and then they just kind of like, we saw the moment and it just became like 
let's keep going baby can we do it and like went all the way through from like night i even went back to like infinite in 1996 all the way to like his most recent album from like last year and I, it was crazy like it was this crazy thing but anyway i was talking with somebody else about eminem and like one of the things is especially you know of course he was uh one of the most problematic artists of all time but also very tongue-in-cheek and purposeful about it but just his whole like attack on gays and like which was very tongue-in-cheek definitely like he knew that he was pissing off people by his being insensitive but and he was like, yeah, that's why I'm going to keep doing it. But you couldn't even play that level of trolling now. Like you couldn't, like you could get away with it because people were like, yeah, that's wrong. But that's so absurd that that's funny. But now you couldn't just be like, yeah, I'm just going to be like anti-gay as a joke. Like, I think maybe Sasha Baron Cohen could do that. Maybe, but maybe. not really. Barely, like you couldn't really do that. Like it was so because if we're gonna, you know, talk about the f word, that was like really not seen as offensive like that. Like it was definitely not something you said all the time. But well, it, right, like we we've talked about. Like I I have some friends that are either in Chicago or were in Chicago that were a big part of my like 2009 to 2011 like underground artsy hip hop whatever you want to call it. And um, I went back to re-listen to an album that I love. And I'm not going to mention it, but uh, <laughs> just because there's because there are some questionable things in it. And and this is someone who I, I, I love and I respect. And I know he is very pro-LGBT community mm. and lots of different groups of people. Mm-hmm. But going back through and listening to this, there's this one song. I, I mean, the song's so good. The wordplay's so good. The way he raps is so good. The production value. I just, I love this song. And I have so many memories of like, I had this um, huge, huge caramel colored 96 Ford Taurus. I would drive around Chicago when I first moved here. This giant boat of a car. It was like impossible to parallel park it on the street. <laughs> and I would just play, I would play this album of his. Which, by the way, that car was so old, I had the tape, the cassette tape with the cord yes, to the disc man. Yes. And I'd be playing this. And and so I hadn't listened to the album in a while. And his new music is very, very different. Um, mm. He's really had a pretty big evolution. And so I wanted to go back, you know, listen to, to this this album. And I'm jamming. I'm, I'm singing along. You know, you haven't heard a song in a long time, but all the lyrics start coming back. And all of a sudden, it's like a freight train. Like, I oh. know it's coming. And I'm like, I cannot. So I'm curious. Like, there's part of me that wants to ask him, do you, do you, A, do you still perform this song? And B, like, obviously, I'm sure you changed the lyric, the one offending word now. But have you ever thought about going back through and re-recording it? Because it's such a good song. Mm. And it's such, it's a jam. It's fun. But, oh. That's an interesting point because, like, it makes me think of, like, for instance, like, I was going through Netflix recently, which I hadn't done in a while, and I actually didn't watch anything, or I I fell asleep if I did, but I saw that, like, Eddie Murphy, Raw, or Delirious was up there, and he's already kind of gone through his apology tour. He got ahead of it because he knew it was going to come up, but that was very smart of him and his team to acknowledge. He just came right out before Coming to America and everything when he did My Name is Dolomite. He made a point to acknowledge. Oh, even that was good. Did you? Do you saw that? I right? did. I did. It was so good. Yeah. And the thing is, my boyfriend didn't know anything about that that era of any of that. Mm. I was like, really? Oh my gosh! And that movie was amazing. You got to understand black exploitation to understand hip hop like even more. Like if you don't, 
I think a lot of us had heard of Dolomite, and I, I wouldn't even know who Dolomite was if it wasn't for hip-hop, really, because, I you know, uh, I didn't grow up in a household where I'm sure, like, my mom would remember, but she wasn't really into that sort of thing. Although she did, like, I did see, like, black exploitation specifically, like, I saw Shaft, but I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of stuff. But I remember my mom went back and watched, like, Foxy Brown, The Mac. I had, I watched some of that stuff, you know, when I became an adult, but I actually never got around to Dolomite, but... He's such a part of hip hop, and so many people here. In fact, ODB, mm-hmm. he I, he might have been in jail at the time. I think that was part of the reason. But when he did uh, his biggest song, he's not even in the video. His biggest song of all time, of course, is "Hey Dirty Baby, I Got You Money," which of course is produced by the Neptunes and features a then unknown Khalees. He's not even in the video. The whole video is excerpts from a dolomite movie and then they superimposed odb's face over him throughout the video <laughs> that's yeah i mean i feel like i was familiar with with the specifically dolomite because of other comedians mm. and because of you know i, I want to say some of my college friends and maybe even there's two specific friends in high school that i feel like their dads kind of had that stuff like around and that's why it was it was familiar to me not that i'd sat down and watched a ton of it but i just I, one of my friends would always like quote lines from it when we were in high school. His dad was like the reason why I got it. Like he's, his dad was, I think it was his dad was the reason we got into Aesop Rock. Like, I don't know how else a 14 year old would have ended up with Labor Days if their parent didn't. That's a cool ass dad right there. Hold up. Yeah. His dad was still very much into like every Tuesday getting the new music as it came out. You're right. That's when they came out Tuesdays for sure. Fun story is that because of this friend, we would always, uh, we'd always, trade cds and uh, i ended up with earth wind and fires i am ah. which i have listened to front to back a million times mm. and only recently I pro- it's probably been like two or three years since i had pulled out this i still have the the burnt copy but i was listening to it and instead i decided to listen to it on spotify and because i don't have any way of playing a cd now because my well actually my car my car is so old i still have an old What's with me in these old cars? I still have a car that's so old it's got a CD player. But I was in my house. Nice. And I was like, you know what? I really want to listen to I Am. So I go, I put it on, and like, is there an album? Are you familiar with this album? I actually have never, I've never sat with an Earth, Wind, and Fire album. I've listened to their, Ooh. like, The Essential. Ooh. I've listened to a lot of greatest hits, but I've never sat with an album. So The no. album I Am is so good, mm. and it's got, like, the best opening, like, the opening 15 seconds it just grabs you it's so good the way that it flows together so it's interesting because you know i feel like my favorite earth wind and fire songs aren't on this album but this is my favorite earth wind and huh. fire album does that make yeah, sense yeah like, yeah that's weird that, but that i i can see what you're saying though huh right so anyway <laughs> i'm listening to it and i'm just like it's like a sound journey I'm going through. I'm remembering all these things because this album, like I listened to it when I was driving from California back to Chicago for my first job interview, like post-college. Like it's just been with me for so many things in my life. And the album, the song, uh, the last song of the album ends and then another song starts and I was like, oh, second album? No, there's two tracks that for some reason my friend never burnt onto the CD. Oh, no. (laughs) So seriously, since I was like 15 years old, sophomore in high school, I've been listening to this one burnt CD of Earth, Wind & Fire's I Am, and it was missing a couple songs. And I just found out like last week. Damn. And that's pretty big because albums weren't very long back then. Like 
an album was like seven to nine songs, if that. So, yeah, it was like usually seven to ten songs, if that. I don't know what to do with this newfound information that I have. Like, do I just keep listening to the like to where I where I stopped it, or do I keep going? Right, right. No, you know what? I actually, it's funny you say that. I have a a weird similar thing, specifically because of a burning situation. Most Def, Black on Both Sides. I did not buy the album. And it's weird because I bought a lot of other CDs, but it was rare to find it used. And, you know, I would I didn't want to pay like the $14, $16.99 or whatever. And I just never bought it. Even though I loved it, I did not buy it. But I also, you know, we all did. Somebody reminded me of the other thing, by the way. Everyone, when we talk about downloading, we all say, remember LimeWire? Everybody goes, oh, LimeWire. But I was trying to remember the other day. I was like, dude, there was another one that was, and I started talking about. Was it Kazaa? Thank you. That and somebody said that that's what yep. I was about to say, but I but the other day I didn't know that. So the other day I was like, dude, what was this? But just like you said it right now, the other guy was like, Kazaa, and I was like, oh, dude, yeah, that's the one because it, it had similar colors, it was like lime green, kind of like lime wire. And I remember that's where you could get movies and all this other stuff, and that's where I saw a bunch of because we were talking about rap battles, and I remember seeing like uh, Murder Mook and Loaded Lux, and if you uh, those were like New York legends, Harlem to be exact. Those guys, you know, they were before even Smack DVD and the URL League and all this stuff that be- made people like really rich. They were just battling in the hood, and I don't even know how this stuff was getting out. I don't know how it was getting out, but I was a little like somebody was filming it and putting it on a torrent somewhere. Or right. Something. I don't even, and I don't even know public access TV. It's well, it was, it was. Oh no, this was in the hood. Like they were they would literally like the most famous one. I bet they were on VHSs that people would pass. Oh, around. it had to be cuz it was like it was like when I saw it it was like 2002, so DVDs existed but it still wasn't common to actually I remember getting bonus VHSs for stuff at that time. Like as like for instance the annual mixtapes were never DVDs at the time. They were always VHS or um First time I saw, well, the first time I heard 50 Cent was 1999, but the first time I saw him moving around in a video was on a VHS I got. It was like a little bonus thing I got because I bought a CD or a, or some shoes or something, and it was a promotional additional thing, and 50 Cent was with this, with this group called UTP. It was like a production company, and they were putting him on. And that's how I found out that he got shot. And well, I knew he got shot, but I—that's how I knew, found out he was still rapping and everything. And but like a year before all of that, uh, you know, the whole shady uh, deal and and Wankster and everything. Anyway, somehow this stuff was circulating, and they would rap. And I mean, they tell you how they got their money, but these were young men. Okay, they're still you know relatively young men. They're maybe forty now, but these guys were like twenty-two. And putting up $20,000 to battle. And you could tell they had never left Harlem. So you tell me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you tell me. But uh, it, it, it was crazy because it was all those gun bars. And because I've, ta- I've talked to other people who are obsessed with, like, you know, battle rap. And at the time, we had never really seen nothing. It was a new era. And we had never seen, like, people have been battling forever. But these were, like... These guys were doing like epics without beats. They were rhyming just, there's one, the most iconic one is they're in a hat store. They just took over like a hat store in a mall and there's like 300 people jammed up in there. And it's these two guys hollering at the top of their lungs about how they're going to shoot and kill each other. And 
it's weird because you know those guys really do carry guns and all their goons do. Like it's it's weird because it's like they never actually did it, but you know people got murdered around them regularly. So it's like this it's real visceral and there's no sponsors it's just these two guys and they're just saying the craziest stuff and then they went on to you know make a lot of money and get signed and do stuff but uh yo that's the the i don't know how we got there but uh we're talking about i am oh most deaf so there's an album black on both sides and i downloaded that off of kazaa and uh telling myself here and I bumped that religiously for years and I just burned copies whenever it got scratched and I never thought anything. And I thought I, you know, I looked up on like all music guide, you know, which was like Wikipedia for music back then. And I thought I had the track listing. There's one song. I think it's just called Brooklyn. Well, there's a song called Brooklyn and it's like, we live in Brooklyn, babe. And he sampled like three different songs. Have you listened to Black on Both Sides by Mos Def? Yes. Okay beautiful well it's around track 14 15 there's one song called brooklyn where he samples it's actually a uh roy ayers song where they go we live in brooklyn babe there's that one did i ever tell you i saw roy ayers live tell me about it please tell me about seeing uh, the legend was, so hyde park okay is a neighborhood on the south side of chicago mm-hmm. and they are known for their arts and their culture and they have big festivals and i believe it was a jazz festival it was a long time mm-hmm. ago and he doesn't play the xylophone. He plays something else, right? You know, honestly, I don't even... I just know his records. I don't, I've never seen him. So he... Because um, he's he's not a, a young man. No, no. He's OG. He was, he was doing it in his 70s. He was a grown-ass man years before we were born. He plays the vibraphone. So I remember, I think I incorrectly called it a xylophone. And someone, like, shushed me in the crowd and corrected okay. me. Okay. Of course, at a jazz show, that's going to happen. Somebody's going to definitely correct you. Right. Um, but it was like a big outdoor festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, they closed down a whole street. It was really cool. It was a lot of fun. So do you remember anybody else that played or w- the experience of watching Roy Ayers? Oh, I mean, he was amazing. Uh-huh. The whole thing, they had like singers up there. It was really beautiful. I don't remember anything before or after that. I'm pretty sure I had to pee for a lot of yeah. it. And we were like outside and trying to figure that out. No, it was good. I feel like it was a long time ago. It must have been 2010. Wow, that had to be a whole bless. I know uh, Butterscotch actually got to do a show with Roy Ayers in like or somewhere in Florida about maybe four years ago, like that. And uh, but then I'm also confused because my understanding is she did a show with him. Okay, yeah, just because someone does a tribute to someone doesn't mean they're dead. I remember there was a group in the Bay Area called Fro, which was I haven't said this in a long time, Funk Revival Orchestra dope-ass band that I was fortunate enough to sit in with uh, a couple times. Funk Revival Orchestra, or Fro, was a dope funk, obviously funk band in uh, the Bay Area around 2008-ish. I don't know, sometime between 2008 and 2012. Anyway, they uh, they were killing, and they did a Warriors tribute, and I remember my homie Dudat, who you may have seen at some point, he's a legendary like underground MC from Oakland who somehow I guarantee you've seen or heard him somehow like he's not not familiar but I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that maybe at some point he's just so ubiquitous to like NorCal hip-hop somehow I feel like you might have seen him you know it's we'll we'll see but yo shout out to him I I talked to I gotta catch up with him and if we ever do have guests 
uh, our current format doesn't really allow for that. But if we ever do have guests, having do that would be uh, very dope. I, I know we're probably coming to the end, so I, I definitely want to say something before we get up out of here. One other uh, point that we were going to address. Yes. Well, we, we did talk about Dolomite and black exploitation, and I believe you told me that you and your mother recently had an interesting conversation about the movie Friday. Perfect segue. Come on, come on with it. Round of applause. Yo, here we go. Oh, you you think that uh, maybe I have a Yo. career in public speaking, and I've podcasted before. Yeah, that was that was pretty magical, and I appreciate it. So, yeah, yeah uh, I was chilling with Mom Dukes the other day. I, I don't even know how we got to it because. You think our conversations jump around. Uh, I mean, my mom is very, you know, she's a she's a professor, and, but also she's also very scatterbrained. She probably wouldn't appreciate that, but she would also have to acknowledge that that's a fact. She can focus very well when she has something to, but she's she's a multitasker. She does that. I'm the opposite of that. But also, like, you know, she just kind of brings up stuff randomly or just goes here. She has a billion things going in I don't even know how we got to Friday, but somehow we were talking about movies. We always talk about movies and, and, and art. I don't know how we came up with Friday, but oh, okay. Here's the deal. I thought how dope this was. We are talking about, I okay, so we started playing like some, we started talking about like Tower of Power. We started talking about like 70s music and uh, this is all related to the movie Friday. So we started talking about, uh, you know, what was going on in the 70s and how real music was and blah, blah, blah. We started talking about Tower of Power. I was like, oh, wait, you mean Lenny Williams, the guy that sang, oh, 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 that guy that did that song? He was in Tower of Power? She's like, yeah, that's where he's from. And so we're listening. I, st- I put on Spotify. I'm playing Tower of Power. And then we st- started talking about the Spinners. And then the Spinners did a song called I'll Be Around. Yeah, of course. Of course. I love the Spinners. Okay. So, you know, but see, I forgot. I what songs they did like i knew the songs but i didn't know that was them and so you know i put on i'll be around and i remembered oh you know i was like i grew up listening there was a rapper when i was a kid named rapper forte and i know you i know you know who it is but i'm saying like i was telling my mom is he actually had a hit off of this and i played it and she kind of looked all weird when it came on because it sounded similar and and she actually was grooving to it she liked it i was like yo this guy and then i got like real uppity and a little angry about how i was like yo this dude is from he's from oakland or richmond he's an iconic but he's from the hood he's like the rapper i don't i don't recognize this rapping forte you've definitely heard him okay rapping Um, forte his biggest song was called players ball that came out um players club excuse me came out 1994 yeah 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 i know who this is yeah and drake famously referenced it in his uh i forgot what song it is uh it's some song that he did that was really big where he basically ripped off. It was an homage, but it was so close that he actually ended up paying Rapper Forte. I think it was 100 racks because he modeled his verse so much off of him. Yeah, and, you know that uh, uh, Drake has been... Uh, are you familiar with uh, Big Baby Dram? Yeah, just he had that big hit Broccoli or whatever. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, which yeah. My, my all-time favorite of his is actually a song called Cash Machine which I love. Okay. But uh, not to, I think you would like him. He's very interesting, very cerebral, but he's a different kind of dude. He's, he's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, The song that really kind of like put him over the top was a song called Cha Cha. And there has been some accusations that hotline bling sounds very, very Mm. close. 
Mm, you know what I did? I heard that, but because I wasn't following, I've heard people say Drum Dram, but you said the full name, so you know better than I do. Well, I think I, it's I, more, I don't really I think it's more like it. you know how how the names start to kind of like evolve, and because like let's be real, like your names evolved a few times since you met me. True, and that, my name's true evolved. That, right. So you know how the names kind of build, right? Well. He's mostly big, from what I understand, from, uh, and we're going to tie this into Black Exploitation too, but this is a good tangent. Like, I know mainly from the Lil Yachty song. Rock uh, right, which is, is very catchy. That's the biggest one, which I hated. What? And it's I was so like, fun. oh. It's so fun. That's probably why I hated it. I'm not a fun person. But then, I, th- you know, I thought it was absolute trash. And then um, around that same time, Chance's album came out, and I was mm-hmm. actually really into Coloring Book. And I, I couldn't even tell he was on it, but I saw he was featured, and I was like, okay, whatever. But then, I believe it was that same, maybe I I mixed up and it was a few months before, but I think maybe it was after Erica Badu came out with her telephone-themed mm-hmm. EP and uh, has a beautiful song on there with uh, Andre, which was very full circle of them. Uh, but there's a song on there, and Dram, or Dram, what a big baby Dram, is on there. And my respect for him really shot up, which usually happens anyone working with Badu. But um, so anyway, Rapper Forte, uh, he did a song called I'll Be Around. And I got a little like, you know, not by my mom or anything, you know, but I was like offended by how like people always blame West Coast hip hop for like, especially East Coast people, not all East Coast people, because there's a lot of historians that know better than to do that. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who know that, you know. That show respect to Ice-T and N.W.A. and everything. But there's a lot of people who are purists and act like, you know, anything not from New York, from a certain era, and it's not good. Or there's people who aren't even from there, and they act like if it's not, like, from the 90s or whatever, it's not boom bap, it's not hip-hop. And I kind of am from that cloth, but not really because, you know, West Coast hip-hop is something to me. And gangster rap, yes, gangster rap was so many things. It was and is. It's a very destructive force. But it's also like it's reality and sometimes it's fake, but it tells on like real things. But the thing is, it's like there's all these people, as Chuck D and other people said, is, you know, hip hop is like the black CNN. Like people just tell what happened in their neighborhoods. If you don't like it, then, you know, maybe somebody should be doing something to fix the systemic racism that puts people in positions of poverty that would increase gang warfare, prostitution and drug use in the first place. So anyway, (laughs) I just didn't appreciate how people, and I'm like, not that like New York or other places or the South brought all these strictly positive things either. I mean, me, my friend and I, I'm a huge Slick Rick fan. He's the reason why I started rapping, but we were both laughing recently about how his debut album, the first song is called Treat Her Like a Prostitute. Don't treat no girly world unless you're sure of the scoop. And that's his opening song. And people look at that as like the golden age of when hip hop wasn't about bitches and money. And it's like, it was. He had huge chains. Even Rakim had like huge chains, like gold. Well, you know? I mean, let's be honest, all music's across all genres. Like when people say that stuff, and it's like, listen to Johnny Cash. Oh my goodness. Come like, on, come on. Come let's on. go. Music in general. It's always, no, but I'm glad you brought that up. Like, because I think it was Bono that, in defense of Eminem, was saying about 20 years ago, he, because I don't know no Johnny Cash like that, but he was referencing Johnny Cash. He's like, when people were trying to vilify Eminem for, like, being violent in his raps as if he was, like, or that he was, you know, he was being blamed for being responsible for Columbine, him and more so Marilyn Manson, but both of them were. And he was like, well, just because Johnny Cash said, I went to, I think it's like I went to Reno, 
yeah, oh, I shot a man just to watch him die. And he also said, and I shot that bad bitch down, talking about a, a, a lady lover. Right. And he's like, so are we supposed to arrest him too? Or like, do you think that means he really right. did? And, and so- I mean, yeah, he was, for, for someone who, you know, I, I don't know a lot about Johnny Cash's life. But like my understanding is those were all just stories like he didn't live that life. So it just mm. it's amazing, like mm-hmm. the dichotomy there. But you're talking to mom where. Yeah. The and spinners, so to bring- which, by the way, my favorite spinner song is called It's a Shame. I'm not sure if you're familiar uh-huh. with that. We listened to that. I, I didn't realize that was the name of it, but I recognized the tune. Yeah, that and there's a there's a few more that I like because that's sort of where my musical tastes are these days is kind of like that genre of music is where I spend most of my time that and house music. That's what I call oldies. I realize oldies means different things to other people, but that's oldies to me. Sure. But like that, like 60s, 70s, early 80s, and then tapping into disco a little, and then some of like the the Chicago and then European house music. That's where I find myself hovering mostly these days. But you're talking to mom. We're on the spinners. We're on samples. And now we're on Friday. Right. So... But that's but that's what it came out of. So I was talking about like people blame West Coast, specifically gangster rap, for like fucking up hip hop. And I'm like, well, all these people were gangsters. I mean, Cool G Rap was a gangster, and all these other people were. It's it's just it's just ghetto living, it's ghetto life, and we do it differently over here. And I was never in a gang, so it's not even my own life. It was foreign to me too. But I could listen. So. That got me to the point of also how it's more nuanced. And as we were listening to I'll Be Around by Rapping Forte, I was like, look, people always blame his dudes down with his dudes on Tupac's album. And he's talking about being there for like his family, his homies, his community. He's literally talking against gang violence and say we need to stop killing each other. And this is in 1994 at the height of gangster rap. When Thug Life and all this stuff was in Death Row Records at the top, this guy was also doing well saying we need to come together. And I was saying that's why I get mad when people act like West Coast hip hop as a whole shut it down or just because you came from the hood or you were a gangster that you were bad. I'm like, no, like people had other stories and that's so like unfair. And then that made me think of how like I was like, yeah, because not everybody in the hood is a gangster and people get that mixed up like people are afraid of the hood with good reason sometimes, but those people too also call the cops or are trying to be protected, you know, or afraid. Right, there are a lot of hardworking people just living their lives. Yes. That's the majority of people. It's not even like, like we just see the stuff we hear about. And yes, there is a lot of that and it is, you know, pervasive, but it's like, yeah, like you said, most people are just hardworking people just trying to get by. So then when I opened that up, my mom actually made the point about how like, Oh, kind of like the movie Friday. Like, that was kind of cool how they just kind of showed. It was just like families. I was like, yeah, that's a great. I was like, oh, like my face lit up because I was like, I hadn't really thought about like, that's the magic. Because I was like, yeah, because that's such a cult classic. It's, 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 it's a hood classic, but it's beyond being a black movie anymore. And, And it hasn't been for some time. Or you could say it's a weed movie. But even that, it's also like a coming of age story. You know, everyone's had the thing of like, you know, there's the the cute girl or whatever that somebody's trying to get or whatever, or there's the neighborhood bully, or there's just hanging out with your friends and, you know, goofy parents. It's just, it's, it's, reg- it's stuff everyone experiences. And my mom made a great point, And we really like wrote on that about how like Friday, as goofy as it is, and how many stereotypes and like negative tropes it still plays into, it was groundbreaking in that it just showed in modern era in the middle of gangster rap that yo like 
there's just regular people here too. I watched it again recently, like just a few months ago, mm-hmm. and because uh, my boyfriend had never seen it because he lived he lived on Guam mm-hmm. during the time when that movie would have come out, and even on Guam, on Guam, mm-hmm. on the island of Guam. Yeah, yeah, he's he's half Chamorro. Oh no, for sure. Yeah, so he missed out on. That's why he's got that beautiful hair. Uh, he missed out on a lot of that kind of stuff, and then you know got dialed into a different friend group when he moved stateside mm-hmm. but we watched it and then we we did kind of some further deep diving on it it was really interesting to hear kind of the making of which i, I don't know if we watched just a youtube documentary about the whole thing or if there was a longer piece on it but it was pretty interesting and and about kind of chris tucker's rejection of his portrayal and, and all the other things from there because he wasn't in any of the subsequent ones. Right, he's always said he wouldn't do it again. Right. I don't know why other than he just, he became a huge star like a year and a half later. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was the stereotype, it was the, but it's like, man. Oh, he didn't like the idea, the tropes. I, I think that was a big part of really? it too, yeah. I mean, hey, mm-hmm. I can't be, I can't be mad at that either. Like, here's the deal. I didn't watch the other ones and I've heard they were, especially the second one was really good and that was like the introduction. I, I've watched all of them, yeah. Okay, I didn't, although I did get the next Friday soundtrack and that was dope. And Wy- Wycliffe is on that one. Of course. And Busy Bone has one of the dopest songs called Friday and this is for the weed heads. By the way, another example of how hip hop, music in general, does not make you do things. It can be. It can if you're highly suggestible and you don't have any sort of internal moral system, which maybe a lot of people don't. But I feel like you can't blame like hip hop, video games, movies and all that stuff. It does influence. I think you're being ignorant if you act like there's no influence at all. But I would just say I listen to so much stuff about weed and about how great and important it is, specifically Bone Thugs. And that song is all about weed and everything they talk about is either killing people or smoking weed. And Busy Bone made a beautiful song about smoking the reefer, the hydro. And I've never smoked weed. I have no intent to. I'm not interested in it. I don't like anything about it. I'm not like anti-weed like I would vote against it or anything. I'm pro-cannabis and all that stuff. But it's not for me. It's just not for you. It's not for just me. It's not for you. You know, I, I'm not going to hate on anyone else's choices. That's not affecting me. I'm just saying. And this is why we're friends. You heard me. You know, not that I, I'm also not a huge weed fan these days, but I went through my, my phases. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a glass of wine, have a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I think you and I are fully aligned on is our, our anti-animal products stance. Yes, yes. Please don't kill them or, or maim them and all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that was the point there on the Busy Bone song or even like the movie Friday, which is all about smoking weed. It really is. At no point did I watch it. It was like, I must now smoke a marijuana. I never, <laughs> you Yeah, know? I feel like I, I saw it well before I ever tried marijuana the first time and it certainly did not influence my decisions at all you know well, what a journey we've been on my yes. goodness i feel like we hit just about everything on the list today yes we did yes mm-hmm. we got a lot of good stuff in between mm-hmm. uh anything else you'd like to say to to take us on out i would say maybe for the next episode i had an idea about biting and uh, i had a song called oh, right hip-hop means that i left off of my most uh popular or important album brutally honest when i was random abilities and there's a song i left off which some of those people went on to do some really cool things and i looked up to them even back then and i'd like to talk about that a little bit more as we move forward but other than that much love and respect to everybody thank you for tuning in whenever you hear this and thank you always rachel for having these weird fun tangents with me Oh, always happy to chat. For those of you listening, you can keep up with us in between episodes on our Instagram at 
for the love of Podden. That's F O R the love of P O D D I N. You can also check out more information on our website for the love of Make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can always find out when the next episode drops. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>